You're listening to the Beat Motel Zine podcast, and we need to warn you that we use words like shit, bollocks, scrotics, fuck, anarcho syndicalist, and cunt, and we don't normally beat those words out, apart from the word cunt, because we're not total animals. Now, we know as well as you that your children can hear these <coughs> words on any street in Britain, possibly any street anywhere in the world, but we also appreciate that you may not want to invite these words into your home if you have children or sensitive pets nearby whilst listening to this podcast. So listener discretion is advised. That being said, if your children aren't allergic to hearing words like fuck, shit, buttocks, or hind penis, they might learn something from listening to this podcast, although probably not because the quality of our educational content is quite poor. So there you go, fuckers, buckle in, and let's get started. This is how bunged up I've been. That's what my movement felt like this morning. <laughs> People who are only only listening on 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 the podcast, you'll miss out what that was. How are you, Doctor Sam? Oh, sorry. By the way, oh, you know it's B Motel. You've heard the disclaimer, and I'm a little bit ill, so I don't really give a fuck. Let's let's continue not giving a fuck. Uh, I'm yeah. fine. I'm going to move in and out of the camera because that's fun, um, <laughs> and uh, nothing exciting happening. It's very grey. I mean, I can't even see the other side of the fucking water. So, yeah, it's very grey in Finland and snowy. Yeah, water. Yes, two, it's two degrees here in, in England. It's what, minus, what do you say? It's minus six here. Oh, tell you what, let's have Riff of the Week. This is Sam's Riff of the Week, and then we'll tell you what we're going to be talking about this week. Oh, I've got to click the right thing. What do I click? Oh, this thing. Hey, I want to make music like that. I want to be in a band like that. That's cool. I think that that's the sort of this is the thing that hardcore sort of is based around is the front man though. You know, if you don't have that front man who comes up with a great sort of lyric scheme like that, it it, it doesn't really translate that well. Um, that was ceremony with the song "Sick," and. Uh, I went to see them a few times. Ooh. I think when I saw them in London uh, at the Old Blue Last, um, I bought some friends who aren't really into hardcore. And I got the impression that they were a bit scared of the kids. <laughs> a bit scared. <laughs> and then I saw them the following night or the previous night in Brighton with my friend Lawrence, uh, who is a uh, a gentleman a few years older than myself, who was a he saw he's an old punk essentially and he 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 commented to me quietly whilst they were playing and this pit was going around he goes they get the hate right <laughs> lawrence has got such a great way this is a lawrence rock i always think it's worth saying yeah. his full name or was it lawrence, oh, no, lawrence stud sorry lawrence stud yeah <laughs> right if I and, say Lawrence um, Studrock, it makes him sound like he's drywalling or something <laughs> uh, but yeah they they they're actually quite a good band because their last few albums have sort of they've gone down a post-punk sort of uh, route. But that that song is just astonishing piece of work. 
Um, and I think I think it's we were talking about uh, we talk about our kids wanting to buy stuff all the time um, just before we started the podcast, and it's sort of like yeah, that's the attitude I sort of feel when I go into a toy shop these days. Oh, like the hardcore attitude. Yeah, just no, no. I'm sick of this. Fuck this place. <laughs> uh... Yeah, that'll happen. Right, let's have a complete, com- complete other other end of the spectrum. Here's just, it's just a bit of a chorus that I've had stuck in my head, and I thought if we didn't do riff of the week, we could, if we had more energy, we could also do earworm of the week because I think most weeks I've got something that's stuck in my head, and this week it's this this chorus. I just think that's fun. That's Pip I, I, I can't. I can't figure out if that's intensely annoying or really good. Maybe maybe it's really good because it's intensely annoying. Do you think similar delivery to, to the ceremony riff, which is, is repetitive, but I think where ceremony is really, really cool is it's just like, it's like, here's the note. If you're only going to have one note, play that one note really, really well. And then there's occasional sort of slips just when it's starting to get perhaps too repetitive. It just sort of drops slightly or there's some slight, slight difference. But but it, I think... and, yeah, it, it, that, that ceremony song is all about sort of, I think it's, there is about three riffs in the song, but it's all about sort of variance and texture. Whereas I think with Pit Blom, it, it probably, they're a Dutch band, I think, and it suffers a bit too much from... They've got that real nice repetitive thing, and I, I love that get back, get back. But the more you listen to it, they've spent – it sounds like they spent a lot of time in the studio just chucking extra things in. And one of the things I really love about hardcore, and I, I keep – like it's starting to ring ring at me like a bell, being a hardcore band, is that it, it, it avoids that complexity entirely. It has to rely on the riffs being good, and it has to rely – it has to rely on the energy and pace above everything. Whereas, yeah, it's – yeah. I think I think good hardcore is incredibly hard to pull off. Um, it's, it's difficult to play. It's a bright. I just it's not straight up four four. Sorry for anyone watching on YouTube. Just got a runny nose. I'm going to put some hand sanitizer on there. He's just rubbing his hands with a snot there. He's, he's a, there's no hand sanitizer there. It's just just it's just snot. <laughs> and now he's. Now he's he he's pulling off hardcore men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should do an episode about uh, what are they called? We should uh, do an ASMR episode. No, I was thinking, what's that uh, pansy division? Do you know? I I, um, I go to a music networking thing called Foreign We Music, which I really like, and each week there's a theme. Um, and everybody does their like introductory round because it's business networking. Everyone does like I, I tend to say, "Hi, I'm Andrew Laws. I'm the the white haired wanker, at my company name." Um, and then you choose three songs on the theme, and <laughs> every single week I go and look at the Pansy Division. <laughs> 
to see if I can find a Pansy Division song that would fit. So, like, this week the theme was noise. Oh, it, nice. It wasn't... Well, I chose New Noise by The Refused and Noise and Noise by Buzzcocks and uh, Dig Lazarus Dig by Nick Cave. But it's supposed to be songs about noises, so I was going to choose... Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to look the name up because I don't want to say it wrong. I wasn't quite brave enough to do it, but you know, songs about about sounds. I was thinking, well, what makes a sound? And I, I chose. I'm going to look it up because I don't want to spoil it by getting it wrong. Um... <laughs> the, the song Pansy Division song. He whipped my ass in tennis, then I fucked his ass in bed. <laughs> Just because, and I, I genuinely do. I really like Fancy Division, but yeah, when you, no, when you they write great pop songs. They do, but when when you see the titles like that, I think God, it, it you have to you have to sort of like have that bit of context that no, they they mean what they sing. It's not it's not a parody. It's not a um, you know, it's not taking the piss. It's it's Ooh. it's an absolute celebration, which which I think is brilliant. I think they are taking the piss, but only yeah. I think I think they are taking the piss, but it, it, it's sort of an aspect of it which is you know male or not male, but white it, but straight sexuality is so thrust in our face, and it's sort of like well, fuck you. It's a it's a fuck you to sort of like straight normative sort of you know like things and i appreciate that and they do it with a lot of sense of humor and uh it's very tongue-in-cheek and whose cheek it is in (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just just looking up some of the other names of their songs i'm not going to read out loads of them but some of them (laughs) i i can't get like you know you're talking about earworms and stuff like that their song alpine skiing stays in my head quite a lot it's that's one of the ones I've just seen, but, but there's some there's some songs <laughs> with titles like Headbanger, and you're like, well, that looks that looks fairly straight up. <laughs> uh, it's not gonna be. Um, mm-hmm. I just just remember the name of that. They had an EP called "For Those About to Suck Cock." <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great band! Right? Yeah, it's, maybe, it's, yeah. Maybe we'll do a celebration of Pansy Division at, at some point, but. We ought to get on to the theme for this week's show. And what is that theme, Dr. Sam? Uh, it is musicians or bands or people who do music who uh, continuously do it and have a late blossoming of some sort um, after years of, of maybe years of being a bit wayward and sort of um, either trying to recapture past glories and failing miserably or, or just sort of going off in a unpleasing direction yeah so it's, it's not bands that have been consistently good it's not like saying well this band has you know like green day well this every album's gone platinum for the last eight albums and they're still yeah, they'd, it's be, not... they'd be basically shit since nimrod yeah no i'd, I'd agree with that but, uh, green God, green yeah. day are green day are like uh weezer on steroids <laughs> go on I'm well, going to come Weezer, to your description. Uh, Weezer, Weezer have been. I mean, this is a <laughs> this is this is a popular opinion that Weezer has been shit since Pinkerton, and um, I have some soft spots for the Green album, but um, oh yeah, I don't know. Green, like 
I think the White Album by Weezer was okay, but basically nothing has clicked since. And for me, nothing has clicked since Nimrod uh, with Green Day. And they just sort of continue to be a shadow of their former selves. Um, particularly, I don't know, Trey Cool always struck me as such a great drummer in the first, you know, the first few albums he was on because he was their second drummer. And then these days he's sort of given up on fills and just sort of gone, oh, what, you know. <laughs> given up on fills. He's lost <laughs> something of that manic energy that used to drive Green Day, I feel. It's, it's that, that early skate punk beat, though. I, I do wonder sometimes how easy it is to do for a long time because no effects are quitting there, aren't they? And I wonder if it's yeah. just because Nelly's just knackered. Mind you, he's fitter than the rest, <laughs> isn't he? He's, he's been straight edge for about 15 years or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think, I don't know, maybe they're just being mature or maybe they're, maybe they're being mature or maybe they're just waiting for that cynical pot of money um, in 10 years' time. It does make me want, yeah, why are no effects quitting? Because they've, they've got songs on albums saying, you know, we don't care that we're fat and old, we're still going to carry on, you know, we know that we're washed out, but, you know, no, no one's going to drop us from a label and as long as people yeah. still see us. And then I wonder if it's because Fat Mike got, got sober as well. I don't know if he's still sober, but um, he... I think I think there might be a thing of like they've run their course. He's been doing a lot more out of no effects experimentation with stuff. He's done like an album with a string quartet or something recently. Oh, bloody hell, really? And uh, he's done musical, and he does all you know. He's sort of he's spreading his wings a little bit further. Um, and there's an aspect of no effects where the last not great no effects album, in my opinion, was War on Errorism. And I love that's my probably my favorite NoFX album. It's and, got it's got the pop tunes on it, and it's got really yeah. strong songs. Yeah, Franco on American is a fucking tune, mm. and um, it's also got more like it's got this it's this bridge of sort of maturity to it. He sort of there's suggestions of sort of being slightly more mature than he normally puts across. And then the last few, but then there's the aspect where they just pound the same sound out and they don't really change up too much because they're just sort of relying on that skate punk thing. And so, you know, maybe we just want to change. I mean, uh, Eric Melvin's doing his own uh, sort of electro punk thing as well. Yeah. And um, what's he called? Oh, El Jefe. I'm horribly is... informed for someone who runs a music podcast. <laughs> yeah, what's El Jefe is. Well, he's just—he's like a—he's like a proper musician. He—he he has mm. this sort of idiot savant air about him, or that's what—that's how he's marketed anyway. Um, and, but you know, uh, right? He's, he's, is he doing a lot of production work? I know he's got his own studio. I think he's doing more and more, and yeah, um, that'd be so cool to be have something produced by El Jefe. We have to get back on track. So this is your yeah. first choice. So the, this is someone who's been... this one, I think. You, you really okay i'm just going to play it and then you can then you can talk about it afterwards Gina's all sound so titty up this malchex say party up moods nanti fella set round on tuesday real bad dizzy snatch making all the homies mad thursday Papa blind to the poly in the hole by Friday. 
I wouldn't think there's anyone listening to this who wouldn't know that was, but just for a... Just you for broke a, my heart by breaking it off just before the drums kicked in. Oh, it's, I know I hate the 30-second rule. I really do. I might push it one day and see if we get sued. That would suck, wouldn't it? Uh, that was uh, a Mr. David Bowie, Bowie. Um, Bowie, Bowie. And that was with uh, the song... Uh, I can't remember what the song's called. Girl Loves Me. Girl Loves Me, and that was from his last album, Black Star. Um, now, I don't think, I've never really, I've not really sort of looked too deeply into a lot of his late 80s, 90s, early 2000s work, but it doesn't strike me as essential. And and people sort of, and, and I'm sure there's very good stuff in there, but I've listened to a little bit of it and it doesn't, and I'm not, I don't, I don't really know if it's good or that good or bad, but and the next day, which was the album before this, <clears throat> is a is is a good album, but it is not Black Star. Black Star was something up there alongside his classic work in the seventies and early eighties, and it is an astonishing piece of work, and um, it stands out there as one of the greatest um, albums by a elderly statesman of the rock community. It's amazing because in I, I'm trying to remember. I don't think I think there were plenty of rumors about him being unwell, but I don't think it was that. It wasn't like part of the marketing or anything. So the build up to that, the the singles off it obviously came out. It would have been a month or two, or quite a while before the album, because that's the way things work. Um, so it's not. It's certainly not a sympathy vote. I mean, sonically, that that's remarkable. That little clip, the bass, chorusy bass sound, and that little odd tick of the vocals, which sounds like a mistake at first, but then he then repeats it. It's just interesting. But it's also this thing of like, you know, some people said, oh, his vocals didn't sound as strong as they might have. Like, well, yeah, but he leans into that. He, he's playing mm. with that sort of like, oh, what's the weakness? It's like, it's like a bit like Robert Wyatt. Robert Wyatt sort of leans into, I think, leans into his sort of sounding a bit uh, fragile um, in the way he sings, and David Bowie sort of leads into that aspect of his voice isn't as rock solid as it used to be, and I just think the album's remarkable and completely, completely unexpected compared to where his stuff had been, at least in the next day and the stuff beforehand, which felt to me very song based. Whereas this was actually this to me is like very. Um, you know, like the next day is there's is basically him. It sounds to me like him going, "Look, I can write good songs. It's not all this sort of experimentation and all this sort of weird stuff." And then he do, he goes with this. He goes like, "I don't need to write traditional songs to be brilliant." And that's the thing that takes it so far away from his sort of other stuff is that it's really not within that sort of traditional songwriting craft. Um, that I think so much of his stuff has been in. I, I think it's completely fair to say that the late 80s, early 90s was not a period, he can't be objective about this, but I, at the time I can remember being really into music and then seeing David Bowie pop up on telly or Top of the Pops or whatever and just going, what is this shit? It just meant nothing to me at all. And, and for me, it was only when Suede came out and people some people in the press were, were saying, oh, he's, he's just ripping off David Bowie. And I was like, no, it sounds nothing like David Bowie. And then went back to, like, Hunky Dory and Spider's 
you know, Ziggy Stardust and went, holy shit, he really is mm. channeling that and went, oh my God, all this music's amazing. Before we discuss it much further, I'm going to play my first choice. so much to like about that although strangely when i was preparing the clips i don't remember the groin thrusting twerking scarecrows the first time i saw that video (laughs) to be fair that clip i just did was six minutes 20 into the the video that's about eight or nine minutes long and i like the fact that by that stage in his career it's like i'm going to put out a single that's like eight minutes long because Who's going to say no? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's, that's also that aspect of like the elder statesman aspect of like, it's not a risk anymore for him to do that because he's got, <laughs> because he doesn't rely on like, um, like someone was saying the other day about uh, uh, the Beatles new song, um, the, the seven inch going for 20 quid or something like that. And just going, well, they know they're going to sell, you know, some, and they know who's buying it. And it's the, you know, the young people don't buy physical media. It's it's people our age, you know, and older. Uh, and older. Uh, yeah, we, we could carry on talking about Bowie, but let's let's take a jump in a completely different direction by playing your next track. That is Soulfly with a song called Under Rapture. And Soulfly, for those who don't know, is fronted by Max Calavera, uh, who who became who came to to global fame through the band Sepultura. So the Soulfly thing's really interesting. I like that, by the way. It's just a, it's a difference in production, but not a completely dissimilar idea to Ceremony. Get get a riff or very get a note or a short riff, just play it really well. So I don't I don't know the timeline. So Sepultura, Roots, Bloody Roots, and then So Sepultura start in the like mid, late eighties, early eighties maybe. Um and they sort of by their third album they're on Roadrunner Records and there's all these stories about sort of Max Calavera um Sort of, they were, you know, they they, uh, they weren't, they didn't have a lot of money for from Brazil, and he gets on a plane and sort of goes and hangs out and badges Roadrunner Records, and um, they become one of the biggest metal bands in the world by the sort of mid nineties, um, and then they put out this album called Roots, which um, and they sort of go from what some people have called proto black metal and death metal into thrash into what is then they sort of invent tribal metal um with roots bloody roots which is the basically the slowing down and the, you know the albums get progressively slower and the textures particularly of the drums get t- you know more and more 
interesting and they incorporate uh, more and more uh, sort of, um, I guess, sort of what, what's called sort of indigenous, what you might call indigenous music approaches in Roots. And Roots, so they go and act, they actually go and sort of um, record stuff with the Amazonian tribe in Roots. Then he has a massive fall. He has a um, massive falling out during uh, the world tour to promote Roots with um, the rest of the band because he's married to the manager of the band at that point, and um, he then produce. He then and it, the, the band includes his brother Igor Calavera, who is basically the guy who sort of invents metal tribal drumming, and um, he then invents. He then Max Calavera puts together a Soulfly with like the some of the big names guesting. This is this is the point where uh, one of the things new metal took from uh, the hip hop world was the amount of guests that you have on your records, and so people would turn up all over the place. Like on the first record, you have people from Corn uh, and Fear Factory and um, Machine Head and all these other these sort of big metal bands at the time playing on it, and it continues. And he sort of incorporates more and more and more world music into it. And the first album has this real, it's like a continuation of the songwriting of Roots. And he gets into this really sort of, uh, sort of, you know, a lot of tribal, so-called tribal drumming and stuff like that. And then he sort of gets less and less angry. And the music sort of goes a bit more world music and a bit, and I don't know, it goes well, completely it off the Gabriel. Board. Yeah, a bit, a bit. Um, he never loses sort of the 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 roots riff of um, detune it to about B yeah. and play play the you know B C B C B C or zero one zero one zero one sort of thing, the new metal sort of um, riff thing. And at some point in the last sort of ten years, he sort of rediscovered extreme metal, and he sort of leaned more and more into that, and. I've been listening, I wouldn't say it's all genius, but the more, he he has a certain genius for writing extreme metal songs. And I remember a few years ago, quite drunkenly uh, listening to Soul, Soulfly just as they had a new album out on the way home. And um, like just the dude actually is one of the best songwriters in metal. I don't think, you know, he writes an amazing riff, but he also constructs these things that are fantastic sort of songs in their own right. And it's one of those things I think a lot of people on the more extreme side have gotten to do is sort of write these, you know, approachable riffs. Note to self, and, write, write song. And, and and choruses. Yeah. And um, he's an, he's he's really sort of an astonishing sort of talent he has an astonishing talent for writing sort of catchy riffs that are extreme and writing but he i mean he sort of lays in the choruses can be a bit um stupid but he comes from a school where you school of songwriting where you write a chorus and i don't think there's that many people in extreme metal who write choruses um, these days, particularly young people, and he writes a great chorus. One of the things I really like about it, about kind of the way extreme metal's gone in the last few years is it. it I always kind of perceived it as being kind of the domain of of younger bands, and when bands 
had released a few albums and you see this in the punk world as well they'd sort of iron out the creases and they'd sort of go a bit more mainstream and a bit safer but with extreme metal the last few years like sugar they're not young lads are they <laughs> you know it's no no kind of give, give, gives me i think the drummer's like in his in his late 50s the drummer of sugar yeah something like that he's got yeah. arthritis he's got all sorts of problems but it, it does give me faith that I've still got time to do to make some extreme metal. <laughs> oh, you know, most of the fest, most of the extreme metal festivals are just full of old. So. <laughs> oh no, I've got to edit that out, Sam. <laughs> All right, what's the timestamp? It's twenty-eight twenty-five. Sorry, Andrew. <sighs> It's the first one in a while. Last time, it, we, last time this happened, it was your your thing. So, yeah, you, you, haven't, you haven't said for a while. <laughs> oh, God, so so childish to say a naughty word and then edit. Did you hear the fascinating Aida one that just ended up just with the? I had to edit out pretty much every bit of vocal in the last two minutes just because <laughs> I was in a room full of people just chanting the word. Uh, who else mentioned? They toured with Sick of It All, blimey. Uh, so I'm on, on the Wikipedia page. Right, let's go for my <laughs> let's go for my next track. We really are going going we're we're an episode of extremes today. Okay. John, do you know who that is? Uh, I want to make a joke of something like, cool, don't make your death sound different. <laughs> yeah, that's shit. That's Swayze, <laughs> with that, that boy on the stage. And I chose them because Brad Anderson in particular, I wouldn't say he had wilderness years, but I've oh got this bloody chair. Can you hear it? I'm not having that much fun. It's just just rocking. Um, <laughs> Swade sort of kind of petered out for various reasons, and then he got back together with with um, Bernard Butler and did Tears or Tears. I'm never quite sure which it was, which I didn't connect with me massively. And then many many years passed, and this this latest Swade album is really good. And, and I, I was first my attention was drawn to it because Simon in my band, who he's the manager of HMV in Ipswich, so he he has to play music through the you know through the tannoy and he said do you know what the new suede album is really good and as far as i knew he fucking hates suede so i think when, pe- when people say they really yeah they really don't like a band and then kind of go oh it's, this new album's worth a listen and i think it, it, similar to bowie i mean when when suede started brett anderson was so young and his voice was so elastic and so it was like a, a play thing but obviously he's now he's older than i think he's older than i i hope he is i'll get really depressed when i find out people i liked as teenagers are younger than me but i think he plays with it again his voice breaks in parts of that chorus in slightly gravelly ways and their guitarist richard oaks is just endlessly inventive mm. it's just like a it's like a, just a bottle slide or something it's just cool i just think and when and they very much have come back to being big stars they've they've been they're they're back on form and the music they're making is is relevant and exciting as it was i argue it's more relevant and exciting than it was when they started in the 90s because they've got so much more maturity behind them now 
Yeah, and I haven't listened to it, but I've heard a lot of people sort of say it's actually probably mostly you. So it's a very good album. Um, What's Lawrence? Lawrence talked about it. Uh, not really. Uh, but he he does go to see them uh, when he can afford it. Um, you know, they played and they played the O2 um, in Greenwich. I think that's how oh, big yeah. they are. Yeah, they, they absolutely which, did. Which, it's a bit like it's a bit like. Um, I don't know. I relate it to sort of Blur playing Hyde Park and selling out Hyde Park. When the fuck did these guys get that big? They Blur just did was it three sold out dates at Wembley Wembley Stadium? <laughs> like yeah, I'm thinking back to like being a being a teenager and going to Blur gigs that were not well attended. <laughs> you know, there well, was like yeah, no that's sort there. of like. Yeah, that's sort of like, I don't know what's happened to, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see how their audience numbers, you know, sort of relate to what they used to play to back in their heyday. And whether that as nostalgic acts, they're actually doing better with audiences than they did when they were, um, like, actually relevant. (laughs) Actually relevant, I, I I have a real problem with the the kind of the nostalgia thing. It, it makes me what Americans say. It makes me ick, um, and that's why I had absolutely no fucking interest in going to see the Stone Roses when they did their their massive massive shows um, in Manchester, wherever it was. Because yeah, I loved that stuff when I was a teenager. But it's and I might still listen to it, but it's it's not terribly exciting. I think I was a I went to a couple of shows, which I reviewed on here with, with Rocky. And we were chatting after Tufnell Park, Wolfheart. And it's not a massive venue. It's like there's probably a couple of hundred people there. And Rocky turned to me and said, he said, this is, you know, this is all I actually need. I said, what do you mean? He said, look, you can pay 350 400 pounds to go and watch Blur or a big band in a, a normo dome. He said, but it's a lot of money and you're not going to get the same experience as seeing a, a band that's slightly experimental or, or not particularly massive in a small venue. And I thought, I agree. I agree entirely. I mean, festivals now, I think the Helsinki and Tuska are probably about as big as I'd want to go for attending a festival now. I've got... Oh, I've, got, I, I've always hated the big festivals myself. That's you, why you I have, they... I've known you since, what, about 2001? And you've always been a staunch and vocal. Uh, what's the opposite of advocate? Uh, enemy. Malina of, of festivals. Like when we, we we had a massive punk news meetup at Reading Festival, and like you stuck your your thumb in the the thread every few posts, going, "I'm not going to be there because Reading Festival can fuck off." <laughs> you, you, yeah, have, that, you have remained yeah. consistent to that entirely. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I, I was, I get, and I get, I get Marty um, when I don't hear my voice repeated by someone else, and then when I hear my voice repeated by someone else, I don't have, I, I just don't chip in at all. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved ATP partly because it felt so much more. I bet I went to Reading twice uh but atp felt you know to go back to that subject we were talking about it felt like it was actually run by people who liked the music that they were putting on compared to reading festival which had no interest in the music no interest in the people who were there all it was was a capitalist uh you know capitalist project uh come uh, what uh, stuart 
uh, I can't remember his name, but the, one of the lads from Mogwai was asked why they play festivals smaller than their size, the size of them as a band might suggest. He said, because we want to play music festivals, not shallow money trenches designed to sell fizzy lager to teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a summary and a half, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's fair. That's good. Good. Right. Good. Let's rip on to your next choice, Mr. Sam. Go on, who was that? That was Killing Joke with Money is Not Our God, uh, which is a nice nice segue from what we were just talking about. <laughs> Do you, there's, there's a list of bands, an ever-changing list of bands in my brain, who I think, what am I missing? Because I know so many people who absolutely adore Killing Joke, and I like the... I like the Did you listen to the whole album. song the song the whole way through? I didn't have time to do that. Have I missed something? Listen, listen to the whole song the whole way through. Ah, okay. Um, because the chorus is incredible. You didn't was that the chorus? Or was that just no, a bit? That was just the verse. So how long so obviously early killing joke is great. I can't remember what the song's called. The, the guitarist has just died. Yeah, no, um, just the last couple of days, wasn't it? Yeah. And that was one of the reasons I sort of picked it, because they're one of these bands that sort of doesn't have a even tempo of uh, quality albums they sort of produce a few and then they then they sort of stop being that good and then they produce like a, a genius thing and then the next thing is a bit eh. and um, you know it's more like music as an art project rather than music as a as a commercial product Ooh. and um, and that I'm I'm with you. It's like I don't. Frankly, I've seen them quite a few times, and I don't really, really get their early stuff and why the pill is of it that much. But that track, "Money Is Our Is Not Our God," is one of my favourite songs. Like, there's something about the performance of it, and um, they sort of lean into sort of they were proto industrial metal, and they sort of lean into what that had become but they they do such a brilliant version of it and i like jazz coleman because he just seems like such a mardy fucker oh god he really is i can remember many years ago hearing him on mark radcliffe and lard mark radcliffe and mark riley had a show sort of 10 o'clock on on radio one and i can remember this the killing joke session was supposed to happen for it just kept being put off and put off and the list of demands from jazz coleman just got really bizarre and then they came on i remember them sounding really metal it's probably like 91 92 kind of period yeah and he spent the whole time going on about occult stuff and, yeah he's 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 i uh, one of my favorite my favorite time i've seen them was at uh the festival sonosphere and i think i've, t- I've said I've, this is i went i went to see sonosphere because it was sort of like the one of the this was a tour of this would be 2011, something like that. And the big four were playing. So you had 
um, Metallica playing <coughs> headlining, but you also had Megadeth and you had Sepultura playing uh, in their current format, and you had all these other bands. And then my one of my favorite sort of modern metal bands, or the last m- one of my favorite bands of the last sort of, I guess, modern metal bands of the last twenty years, the Black Dahlia Murder were playing. And then to top it all off, off after the last band on the day was Killing Joke in a tent. And so you had all these uh, like American bands that come over and play the festivals and they're doing this thing. Everybody's clapping along to the beat and I'm just sitting there going, this is just, you know, there's something. It's always, that's it's always out of time. Yeah. But it's, it's more like there's something that's been removed when you have a band, a metal band and people are clapping along to it. There's something that's been removed of the point of it to me. And so then there was this kid in front of me watching Killing Joke and he started clapping along. And it's almost like Jazz Coleman caught his eye and just stared at him until he stopped. And at that point, I was like, I fucking love this. This is brilliant because this is not happy, clappy music. This is not happy, clappy music. This is fucking... And he was going on about nuclear destruction and stuff like this. And to clap along to that uh, i think the point was point was made and i was, it was a wonderful experience at that moment and that was that is why i will always have space for killing choke in my heart because they do not appreciate the crowd clapping along to their music <laughs> that's good enough reason for me there's, there's a clip when i went to go, it's on the back batushka um review where foolishly i can't remember if it was canon fever or, or batushka appeared to encourage the band to the crowd to start clapping along to the intro of a song it must have been canona fever batushka don't they barely move um and the clapping was so out of time i actually i, I recorded it and put it in the episode but it's just uh, ends up kind of like you can see the drummer we couldn't see him because they're wearing masks the drummer must be going don't do that no don't do that because <laughs> somehow he was managed to, to stick to his time and oh man, asking an audience. I, I grew up playing bass in um, in church, and as soon as like the worship leader started encouraging people to clap, it would always be like, "No, don't do that!" <laughs> because crowds cannot clap in time for shit. They really can't. Right. So we've had. So what was your? So did you say your reason for that choice? Was it just that it's good, or that it was a leap forward, or it was something very different for Killing Joke, or just well, it was late early nineties? No, they sort of, you know, they had this sort of like uh, first few albums being sort of massive and brilliant, and then they sort of went off the boil and um, have some pretty poor albums afterwards. And then this came back, and it's one of the best things they ever did. Uh, cool. Good, good enough reason. So my next choice is going to be a band who I don't think evolved massively so much as learned how to actually use a recording studio, um, but were away. It's a band that had a lot of hype in the 80s. I mean, like, looking back, I don't know how much hype they had outside of the music press at the time, but in the early 2000s, suddenly got a lot of attention from Hollywood and through a slightly rose-tinted kind of way. And the, the first time I probably heard this band was this album, um, which was early 2000s, and I just became obsessed with it, and this is what it sounds like.
Can you guess who that was, Sam? Uh, was that... Uh, I don't know who that was. I'm not going to try and go so, for a comedy answer. <laughs> for me, that, that sound is so distinct. But if you heard heard old far like stuff twenty five years before that that this band would do, you would sort of see a link, but it wouldn't be quite as quite as thing. That's Jesus and Mary Chain. Oh, so I'm quite excited that Jesus and Mary Chain are playing at Roadburn. Is it Roadburn? Yeah, yeah. I'm quite tempted by that because that. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm definitely game. Do you want to do you want to go to Amsterdam and hire bikes and cycle down there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's from an album called Monkey, and the album comes very close to being a perfect album, as in it starts perfectly, each song's in the right place, each song's strong. It falls just outside of it for reasons that I I can't remember. But the first track on the album is called I Love Rock and Roll. I love rock and roll. It's not that one. It's not the uh, that short person. Another, I can't remember her name. Joan Jett, that's another it. Another jukebox I, baby. I um I bumped into June, Joan Jet in a hotel in Manchester with her band and her band I think ah oh, they're another band and I was surprised how how short she was I don't know why but the last the last track on the album's I hate rock, rock and roll and it's basically the same song but it's really got it's really that's what I just played it's really ramped up with the mm. feedback and whatever but they it's a cliche to say it about Jesus and Mary Chain but they do play the feedback like an instrument. It's like it's it's just so good. It's the timing is just so brilliant, and it adds it adds so much. The early album, you know that you know the story about Jesus and Mary Chain. They released a recorded an album for I can't remember Rough Trade possibly, and it was just like yeah, it's nice, it's it's pleasant enough songs. It it doesn't stand out, and they they went back to the studio and just like fuck you and just recorded screaming feedback over all the songs and i knew this is i knew this is a story i knew this is a story but i actually heard it i was like whoa like people actually like this it is it is unbearable and it's just random it's just like i bet there's somebody listening to this who's saying unkind things about me and they're welcome to but it's just so like well no sorry that's just nonsense but as they developed by the time they got to this album monkey the feedback was just it's like another another member of the band but you know that's sort of like that's a nice story about how a band develops their own sort of personality rather than trying to please other people they end up sort of going oh there's something there's something here that we can and now they're headlining one of the biggest um alternative music festivals uh i mean like proper proper alternative festivals and uh, like so alternative that i don't know the fucking house is playing <laughs> the, the you say about jazz coleman and like having the attitude i mean jesus and mary chain when they started they they were so abrasive so mm. deliberately abrasive so they'd sell out a, a, a gig so like you know glasgow barrowlands or somewhere and play for 11 minutes or just have have the security shut shut the doors when only half the people with tickets had got into the venue I mean, like things that I mean, the fall did similar things, but Jesus Mary Chain. I'm not sure Marky Smith ever had the the. He couldn't. I don't think he could style it out. I think at the end of the day, you just end up thinking he was just being unpleasant. But yeah. Jesus Mary Chain are different for me because the two brothers, um, the Reed brothers, they can write really, really good songs. 
Mm. And that's the difference. The Fall are, are entertaining and interesting, but Jesus Mary Chain, listen to listen to Monkey. It's a strong album. I I mean, you've given me two things to listen to that I haven't really considered. This is the fun of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but Monkey, M U N K. I like those albums so I can drown out my child later. <laughs> I, I love my child. Drown out, drown out my internal monologue. <laughs> no, I, I love Monkey. Uh, we, we we got it. I bought the CD. Then Emma and I went on holiday, and I think it's the only CD we took. So, like driving everywhere, we just listened to that album. And there's there's so so much about it that's that's so good. They're just good songs. The song the songs are stronger than the production, and I think that's that's really important for that kind of music. <laughs> yes, that's no. a very good point. It's a really good point about about <laughs> like feedback based or sort of. Um, Something that is sort of leaning quite heavily into one particular idea, uh, yeah, yep. So the, the the sound, the songs are better than the uh, songs. I've got to make a note here. Songs over production. Yeah, right. So let's move on to. Oh, it's your last choice. My last choice. Well. Go for it, Doctor. That was Joe Strummer with Mongo Mondo Bongo. Uh, so was it the Mascaleros? No, that was the Mascaleros, the second album with them. And um, he he was one of those people. He didn't continuously produce stuff after the Clash, but he was partly responsible for one of the worst albums by a great band ever, which was the last Clash album. Not completely responsible for it, but it was at least partially responsible uh, for it. And um, he also produced some okay stuff, but he was never the, he was never the songwriter of the clash. It was always Mick Jones. And that sort of shows in his struggles to get past that. And I'm not crazy about the Mescalera stuff. Um, I think, and I'm not crazy about this whole sort of world music trajectory that they were on. Um, But, there are some tunes that they did together, which are I do find sort of are pretty fantastic and brilliant, and sort of got to the fact that there was some sort of musical genius in Joe Strummer. It wasn't all just the energy he delivered stuff with. It was also and and some good lyrics. It was also something else going on there that he was he was uh, somehow sort of brilliant in his own right rather than um it be solely based on performance and yeah uh although yeah although i don't like how his memory is sold that much these days um but he was uh yeah it was it was good it was good that after such a long time away he actually produced some good music um i remember being sort of confused but Curious, and and I've still not heard a Clash album the whole way through, um, by the Mescaleros because it was very much, and this could be false memories. He Joe Strummer was I knew who he was, but he was suddenly sort of popping up 
on like very, very small stages at Glastonbury Festival, but on TV coverage of Glastonbury, he'd do a song. And there was a short film. Channel 4 used to put short films on. that would be like 30, 40 minutes long, made not all that well and never made much sense. They were, you know, Channel 4 doing what Channel 4 is actually good at. And it's mm. chucking a bit of money at someone who wants to be creative without without obsessing in a Netflix or ITV type way about it being a polished thing. And for some reason, in this short film, it had Joe Strummer with an acoustic guitar thrashing out a song in a sort of angry, really angry Billy Bragg kind of way, which looking at I have no idea why he was there. And, and I, was, I was just a bit confused by the whole thing that he died. So I never got to he ask. Was, yeah, I, 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 well, my experience of him was always, I wouldn't see him live. One of the first gigs I went to see in Brighton, uh, with my friend Sean, uh, when I moved there back in 2000, Joe Stromer played uh, the uh, Concord 2 with the Mascaleras. Mm. And me and my friend Sean were in the pit and near the front. And then this fucking old arsehole came over to us and said, oh, you shouldn't be in here. You weren't there when it, w- you weren't there when it was started. Oh, piss off. What the fuck do you know? Someone fuck actually you. came up to you and said that? Yeah. What a... Oh, I've got to edit it anyway. What a... Yeah. And that sort of really shat on just sort of this sheer joy of seeing one of my musical heroes. Like, what, who was any great. need? There's no need. No. What, what possible reason would there be to... Oh, like man. Going to... You know, it, it is literally like going to any gig where old people, you know, where the band is old, and going to the youngest, the young people there, going, "Oh, fuck off! You don't know, you, you don't know why you're here." I saw uh, th- this is a- along a similar line, but I I didn't do a review of it. But Emma and I went to go and see uh, a lecture given by someone called Charlie Haylock, and Charlie Haylock is a um, a language coach and, and a study of ling- linguistics. Anyway, so he he gave a talk about he got a job as the dialect coach for the dig, you know the, the the Netflix film, which we haven't seen. It's really really good. And at the end, somebody somebody pipped up when there was questions at the end. And said, so what do you about think about children? Kind of like using things like LOL or like inventing their own language or like bastardizing or shortening. Shouldn't that be banned? And he, Charlie Haylock said, no, because as soon as you start excluding younger people and as soon as you start trying to protect the language, the language dies. He said, if you look at look, ancient Greek, Latin, they had very strict rules about the use of language. So it died because the younger people won't adopt it. They, they, they just language evolved. And it was so funny because it just shot this guy in half. He was very polite yeah. about it, but it just absolutely mowed him down. So well, I, I, I think the same thing with music. If you think that you've got to have been on earth for a certain number of years, or do you know what? When the pistol starred, I took a piss next to John Lydon. When he said to me, do you think I ought to be called Johnny Rotten? I'm like, oh, who gives a shit? I think it's one of the most negative things about music. I, if somebody, if it's a band I've been into for years and someone goes, especially when this happened a lot during the, the indie years, suddenly a band will get number one single and the, the general response from a friend saying, oh, I really like that 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 singer, Suede, um, 
my elitist indie friends would be like really upset and cross about it. And I think the attitude should have been brilliant. The tribe's getting bigger. You know, it's sort of like fantastic. You've got so much to discover. You've got so much joy ahead of you now. Well, that may be quite cross. Uh, we ought to move on and have, have uh, my last song. <laughs> now, for my last song, I did have a song by the Subhumans, just because I think Subhumans' early stuff is pretty good. The later stuff's much better, controversial opinion. But I was at a These Are End Times rehearsal last night, and uh, we talked. I was talking about the fact we were going to do this recording. So I, I set a challenge to my bandmates. Name it, I said, look, give me an artist or a band who have the longest period of time between initial impact and late era greatness and this is what this is this was the resounding answer actually from everyone Oh, God, that's brutal cutting that off. Go on, Sam. You know who that is? Uh, that's the new Pill album, isn't it? Yeah, it's John Lydon. No, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it is, if only I, it was John Lydon. I, I actually, one of my choice, one of my initial choices for this was John Lydon because he released an electronica album which he, he made all by himself called Psychopath <laughs> or Psycho's Path. Um, and I went back and listened to it, and I went, Oh no, I remember really loving this. I can't, it sounded terrible. Uh, yeah, that's Scott Walker, and mm. he released so many albums. So that, for one thing, I was really surprised how much that track is called um, Farmer in the City. And I was surprised how much that connected to me emotionally, actually. I was like, there's something. When, when, when is that from? That's very late era. Let, let, me, have, let me look it up. It, sort, of, sort of bear in mind that, that it's sun ain't gonna shine anymore is like early 60s. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, right. So, the farmer in the city is off tilt, which is 1995. I mean, it's still a, a massive period. And he did, he did record like just just before he died. He did an album with Sano, yeah. which I didn't understand at all because it was Sano being Sano with Scott Walker wailing over the top, being Scott Walker. Well, in- it, the, the Sano album fits much more with what he did in the last sort of. 15 years, which was sort of much more atonalist, a very much more like there's a documentary, great documentary about him recording one of his albums. Yeah, where tilt. Lit- yeah it might be tilt, but for the, the for the uh, what is it for the um, the rhythm track of one song, they are literally punching the side of a meat. And which you, you believe, know, it's sort of if the exact point, same. Go on, go on. There's an aspect of that that gets into it is. Um, this, that's very funny, actually. That you know, that's sort of like that's taking it so seriously. And um, I, I didn't think the one with Sono worked that well. But I love. It. I have my story about Scott Walker is that when I started listening to him, <coughs> I bought the CD. I bought, I think, the Drift, one of his early two thousands things, two thousand five, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um. I bought the drift from this shop called uh, Fop, 
It used to be a, a great chain that used to sell sort of brilliant uh, CDs for five quid sort of thing. And I bought this, the Drift, and I put it in my CD player that I used to walk around with because that's how old I was. And I didn't really want to move to MP3 things. And um, so I put it in my CD player, and there was points of like sparse, like nothingness. And I was going, oh, what the fuck's going on? I don't understand this music. What's, what fuck me? And then there would be bits of music that just come jarring back in. And then I sort of was like, and one point I just sort of spent three minutes just silence. And I remember I was sitting on the tube waiting to go down to the Victoria to get on the, the train to Brighton. I was just sitting there and just nothing happening on my CD panels. And I eventually looked at it and it would just said error. <laughs> <laughs> and I took the CD out and it had two bubbles on the, the, the laser side. <laughs> and so it was actually a fucked CD. And you know, the CD was completely oh, you know un, unplayable. But I didn't notice. But this is the sort of like aspect of like, there's a level where this just trips over into being ridiculous and satire, and you know, is this good music or is it just you've listened to some, you've listened to so much of everything else that only really difficult shit excites your ears anymore. There's also the element though of the fact Scott Walker made so many albums and so many <laughs> of them are completely disregarded by everyone. Um, the things like <laughs> the, the the punching the pig thing. It was a part on the album that was about Mussolini and his wife being shot, their corpses being shot, and somehow Scott Walker had the money to hire like this real top level percussionist, and he used him to <laughs> punch a pig's corpse, which is just oh, well, we're still talking about it, and it's it's years yeah. later, but yeah. Like, so that was that was my last choice. As ever, we have we have overrun. So I've got a few little uh, nuggets to give you before we before we crack on. Emma's doing something in the kitchen. Um, I put the well. Listen to this. This is uh, this this is a limerick about our last episode. In a podcast where covers are king, post seventy songs take to wing. With each riff and chorus, the hosts do implore us to hear how old tunes get a new zing. Oh, that's very nice. Is that uh, AI? Yeah. yeah, I chucked the whole transcript into AI and um, asked, asked it to, to make a limerick. Right, we what have... about, can, can you ask it to do, what's that thing? Um, can you ask it to do, what's that Japanese style of poem? A haiku. Um, a haiku for oh, next one. Man. There's a challenge, so I'll, I'll see if I can make a haiku out of this episode. Right, so we've actually Sexy had a letter. Cough. How, you feel, how are you feeling? <laughs> oh, yeah, Ma. She, she can't hear you. I know. Um, Sam says hello. She said... Uh, <laughs> Right, we've had we've had an email. We've had it actually was an email, a real email from someone who from, uh, from the mad tran of old Ipswich Town who who contacted us before. So I'm I'm just going to read it because I'm not going to try. I do know the person IRL in real life, but I'm not going to try and do their voice because actually I think they're <laughs> exactly the same as I do anyway. Right, so bonjour moteliers and not Rudiger. Rad episode on covers. These tracks immediately came to mind. Springing off the Public Enemy cover Sam chose. Tricky's track Black Steel 
not to be confused with blue steel. Dead cunt. This, this is good, actually. I kind of wish I'd thought of the next one. Dead Kennedys covering themselves on Buzzbomb from Pasadena. Jello by Afra sped up and pitched up and aged up. Lawrence Welk cranked up to 10. I don't understand that. Who's Lawrence Welk? Oh, we're going to have to look it up. Yeah, oh, yeah, but that, yeah. That's, that was one of the things that when I first heard Buzzbomb from Pasadena, I just thought, wow, <laughs> this is... This is so brilliant because there's no reason for the Dead Kennedys to do a. It's not even like a comedy version. It's like, oh, like it. it's like she, about an old lady hitting someone with her car or something, isn't it? It's just an odd thing. Have you found out who Lawrence Welk is? He's some sort of band leader. I don't. I need to listen to the thing to understand. Mm. I like. I like. I like uh, this. Uh, now I like being out nerded. Oh god, yeah. No, this is one of the absolute joys of doing this is uh, being reminded how how um, how ill informed we are. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It's this moved. keyboard warrior hiding behind us, shaming us. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, I know the person. They are not a keyboard warrior. They're, they're... I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm... But we, we will take any advice from anyone because we we do need help. Right. Finally, Mitski's cover of the Bleachers song, Let's Get Married. The original is kind of mid, but Mitski is life. Was going to walk down the aisle to this, but it didn't work out. She liked the Beatles. I didn't. <laughs> there is a lot of story. I'm going to read that that couple of sentences again. There is a lot of story in there. Finally, Mitski's cover of the Bleachers song, Let's Get Married. Original is kind of mid, Mitski is life. Was going to walk down the aisle to this. It didn't work out. She liked the Beatles. I didn't. There's a there is a lot packed in there. <laughs> That's efficient writing. That is. Um, then goes on. On a geek note, are there any remastered albums that are notably different enough to be worth listening to? Hmm. Then it just says something, something, something again. The mad old Tranovitzrich town. The remastered thing is we're too late in the episode for for me to really kind of get into this, but I think Shallow Money Pit is. <laughs> is probably how I'll summarise my feeling on that. If you like the Clash, um, the last Clash Clash mixes were apparently remixed um, by Mick Jones. I would say they all benefited from it, apart from the first one, which they take away something of like the peak uh, of the first album, the peaking of the first album, and it sounds a bit too much like a like a Brit, like a what they called Pete Doherty. Uh, band that yeah, Mick yeah. Jones did produce um, but yeah we I mean there's a lot of great remastered stuff uh, the Queen the Queen albums are spectacularly well done remasters um, and I would say uh, I'd have I'd want to think about more of that that's great, mm, that's that's great good question, question. now the final letter is going to come as a bit of a surprise I'm just going to read it, and you can put your hand up if you want me to stop at any point, okay? So, uh... wow. <laughs> What's that noise? That, that was, was just me, me moving my, my computer back. I was looking away, and I thought that was you vocally exclaiming. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is <laughs> like that. Right, so anyone didn't listen to the last show, uh, what happened to Rudika Broomhilda, Sam? Um, he, he hates us now. He hates us, and he minced off. So we got a letter from someone completely, completely, uh, you know, not new, but new to us. Here goes. I'm going to try and put on an appropriate voice. 
Dear Doc, no, that's just Rodica. Dear Doctor Sam and Andrew Culture, I hope this letter finds you in the pink. I'm Bertie Worcester, recently spirited away from the 1930s to your rather bustling present era. A friend, upon realising my utter bamboozlement with an sorry. A friend, upon realising my utter bamboozlement with modern times, recommended I listen to your podcast, Beat Motel, for a dose of cultural enlightenment. I must say, your episode on post-1970s cover songs was a revelatory experience, buzzing with japes and jollity. Your banter about bands like Blur and their musical escapades was quite the earful. The notion that a cover can eclipse the original is a ballygood puzzle, but you chaps seem to have a handle on it. The discussion on Robert Wyatt's warbling struck a chord with me. His voice being described as vulnerable and innocent is a sentiment I find rather topping, akin to the dulcet tones of the nightingale. The discourse on the impact of the pandemic on musicians and the creative responses it elicited was something I found frightfully intriguing. It's a rummy state of affairs, what with musicians cobbling together performances from the confines of their lodgings. This two minutes to late night affair seems like a ripping good show. And the notion of musicians playing covers to keep their spirits up during this period of global discomfort is quite heartening. I was particularly tickled by your references to podcasts like Dead to Me and The Wolf and Owl. It's rather like stumbling upon a trove of hidden gems, what? Your views on music and comedy podcasts being more of a hit than the public are enlightening. I always thought a good chuckle was the way to go, and it seems I'm not alone in this sentiment. However, I must confess that much of your modern music lingo had me at sixes and sevens. Words like hardcore and funk metal and the like left me feeling a bit like a fish out of water. In my time, the hottest thing was the Charleston, and the notion of music causing a ruckus was limited to whether the brass section was in high spirits or not. In conclusion, I must extend my heartiest congratulations on a programme well executed. Your blend of music, law and light-hearted banter is just the t ticket for a chap trying to get the lay of the land in these modern times. If you have any pointers for a 1930s bloke trying to navigate the complexities of your era, I'd be much to blame. Obliged. Toodle pip and keep up the sterling work, Bertie Worcester. It's a very interesting idea. I never thought about using AI to make fictional characters live a life. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, he's a fictional character. Two, the person who wrote him is dead. Um, and uh, so I imagine uh, you used AI to do it because I think you're too busy to do this yourself as well. Oh, God, I don't have the time for that. It's quite a lot. <laughs> It's quite a lovely study, though. Actually, I think it's. I didn't. I didn't put that much into to steer it. I I did a bit, but I, I wanted it to be as as Woodhouse as possible, and I think that's actually pretty accurate. It's quite. It's quite nice. It's quite pleasant. It's, it's not. It's not going into any great depths about anything. I, I thought that was quite good. It's. It's. I mean, I, every time I think about Burley Worcester and music, I always think about. Um, the King of Sweden giving everything that she was needing. Um, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to try something. I'm going to put a link in the show notes that will allow you, anyone listening, to talk to Bertie Worcester. And not just any Bertie Worcester, but the one who's listened to Beat Motel. So I'm going to challenge you, listeners. Go look at the show notes and right at the bottom you'll see a link that should, if I've done it right, allow you to have a conversation with a Bertie Worcester who has listened to Beat Motel. So do that. 
let's know let's know what what comes out of it. I'm I'm going to be a bit scared, but also kind of quite intrigued. Right. I want to ask him questions about his sex life because that's only if it's internet. <laughs> oh man, that could be a whole other podcast, couldn't it? The secret sex lives of fictional characters. Secrets, so great. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the job for somebody else, I think, or Sam's. Yeah, listen in next week when we announce Sam's new podcast. <laughs> 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 right, Sam. Um, I'm going to say to the listeners, thanks again for sticking with us. Uh, this has been a, a, a. I really enjoyed this episode. It's been a lot of fun, as usual. I've got some swearing to edit out now, <laughs> but apart from that, please like, subscribe, listen, and contact us. Remember, you can send us a voice note if you go to the show notes on sh- on Shopify, on Spotify, or at beatmotel.co.uk. Please oh, you're write on Shopify as well. Oh, I'll sell out anyway. I can. I don't care. <laughs> Right, I'm going to say old. goodbye. We've got kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm we need tired. money. Send us money for our kids. <laughs> well, we're not going to exchange our kids for money because my daughter's no, too big. No. It'd be too expensive to post. <laughs> uh. <laughs> right, I'm going to say goodbye. Do you want to say goodbye, Sam? Goodbye. <laughs>